Well, thank you, Lord, for worship this morning. Thank you for your presence. Let's just pray real quick. Father, we just thank you that you're here in our midst and that you're still doing stuff. I just pray you just continue, Holy Spirit, just be working on our hearts. Do what you want to do this morning. In Jesus' name. I do, uh, actually, I kind of feel like we should do this. Is where uh, the first day of school, public school, is what? It's Monday, right? Yeah. Where, where are all the, the young folks? Oh, there they are up there. Hey, young folks. <laughs> I know some other schools, uh, I think you guys started earlier, didn't you? Yeah. And then we started earlier, too. I just feel like we're supposed to pray for, for them as they go back to school. Just that God would do something awesome this year with their generation and in the schools this year. Is that cool? Well, Lord, we just lift up all the kids that are going back to school on Monday. Lord, we just thank you for them. We bless them in Jesus' name. We just pray, Father, that you would invade their school this year. We pray that you would literally change the atmosphere of all of their schools, that you would move in their generation this year, Lord. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. And Lord, as watchmen over Wilmington, Lord, we as a body, we say, come, Holy Spirit, invade these schools in Jesus' name. Protect these kids that are going. Lord, fill them with your spirit, Lord. Give them the words to speak to their peers. In Jesus' name, we bless them. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Okay, cool. Well, guys, um, you know, there's just there was too many confirmations to keep going where we we're going this morning. Uh, I feel like God wants to change the atmosphere this morning. <laughs> I think He has been, and um, I think He wants to continue to do that. I think He's gonna just release some freedom this morning to to us in certain areas. I think um, I, I just I just feel like we just need to be aware and kind of just pay attention a little bit of what the Holy Spirit's doing in your heart. There's areas that he's pinpointing as we like, as I share the message, just kind of give it up to the Lord and keep, keep kind of like a check on that. Like, what is he doing? Cause I feel like he wants to do some stuff later. Um, after we share a little bit, is that cool? All right. So for you guys who have been here, I feel like uh, I'm supposed to wrap up this kind of series that I've been going through. Um, anybody remember what we were talking about, uh, I guess, over the past, what, two months now, three months? You guys remember? Gideon. <laughs> you just remember that because you, <laughs> you spoke on it. <laughs> right. But what about, what about Gideon? You guys remember? I know we got to think. What did we even talk about last week? You know. <laughs> so I really feel like the Lord, over the past what it's been three or four months, has been highlighting at least in my life, and I feel like even we've seen like bits of it in our services about being seated with Him in heavenly places. You guys remember that? Yes. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> you guys didn't forget everything, right? Well, um, I feel like I'm supposed to wrap that up today, and um, I feel like 
this is a place that we are supposed to live from. And um, I just want to, you know, since I just I feel like we're supposed to, I'm going to review a little bit, and then we're just going to go into it, okay? Um, so I'm going to just hit the points, but I specifically want to talk about this place of victory that we're supposed to live from, and it is tied together with being seated with him in heavenly places, okay? So if you guys, I'm not going to go, I'm going to do this real quick so we can get into it. If you got questions about it, listen to the podcasts. You know, for the first uh, two sections we did that we were going to talk, we talked specifically about why we're seated with him in heavenly places. And the first one is to know him and to know his ways. You guys remember that? That we're supposed to know him intimately, but we're all supposed to know his ways. You guys remember that? That like it is possible to know the will of God. It is possible to know the mind of God. He actually is inviting us to know it. And it's through that actually being seated with him in heavenly places. Okay? Number two, we talked about how he wants us to live life from his perspective. You guys remember me talking about Glacier when I went up to Glacier and I saw like a crazy perspective when I was up on eight, 9,000 feet, right, of the valley and everything. I could see everything. He wants us to live from that place. And of course, I want to talk about he wants us to live from that place the way we battle, the way we fight, in a place of victory, all right? So I'm just going to lay this foundation real quick. We talked about it each time, but this is important that we kind of we're starting from this place. So number one, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we were born again. And it, the literal translation means we were born from above. Okay? So what is the above? Heavenly places. Heaven. We were born in heaven. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you were born in a place that is in earth. You were born in heaven. Your new creation, your new man or woman was born up there, not down here. And that is now your new life. So what does that mean in context to us right now? Is this our home? No. Where's our home? Right, where we were born. That is our place of residency. Now, we are here on this earth as well. Remember, we talked about how can you be in two places at the same time? Well, we can spiritually. Physically, our physical bodies are here on earth, but spiritually, we are seated with him in heavenly places in the spirit. So we are at two places at once, and there's a reason for that. Does anybody remember the reason? Why does God, why didn't God just like born, give us like, we became born again and we got this new spirit here on earth and we had, there, there's like heaven's still up there somewhere. Why do you think we are in two places? You guys remember? To get the intel. Yeah, yeah, get intel, right, right. What did, uh, what did Jesus, when Jesus, you know, rose from the dead, and he's talking to his disciples, and he says, you know, as I have been sent, so I send you. Okay? 
So how, why was Jesus sent? To show us the Father, right? But what was his mission? See, to say that which was lost, to seek, save that that was lost. Right, right. So he was, in a sense, he became our intercession between heaven and earth. When he died on the cross, his blood literally covers us and is making intercession even now between the Father, between heaven and earth. So when we are still here on earth, that's why, you know, Jesus, like, didn't have, like, the angels, like, snipe us out, like, when we got born again, so we'd be with him. He has a mission for us here on earth to be in the same way interceding, to take what was in our inheritance, which is in heaven, and to bring it here on earth, because that's what Jesus was doing, right? So I send you, so I've been sent, so I send you, right? He was sent to do the same thing, now he's sending us. So it's important for us to understand that we're not just here on this earth. We have to really have our minds renewed that we are in two places at once and that we have this access, okay? All right. So this is our new home, and we are actually commanded to live from that place, heaven. Number two, his resurrection, ascension, permanently positioned us in heaven. Ephesians 2.1. We're going to read through this real quick. This is kind of like the core scripture here. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at this one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So when Jesus resurrected from the dead and he ascended into heaven, and we, when we, he was, he was seated at the right hand of the Father, and when we were born again, we were literally, we ascended with him and were seated with him in that heavenly place. Now, is that based on anything we have done? What, what did we just read? What is it only by? Grace. There is nothing that we can do or not do except receive the free gift of salvation and the free gift of this inheritance of being a son and a daughter. So when you sin and you screw up tomorrow, it does not change your position in heaven. And I'm saying that because the enemy, he doesn't want you seated in heavenly places. You know, the enemy knows that we're seated in heavenly places better than we do. He sees it. When he sees us, he's looking up. Do you realize that? 
because he is what we just read that he's in the kingdom and the power of this air. So he's in that second heaven. You go, I'm not going to go deep into this, but this is first heaven. He's in second heaven. The throne of God, the throne room is in third heaven. He is in second heaven and he's looking up at our feet. Do you understand that? He doesn't want you to know that. So when you screw up tomorrow, because you will, because we all sin, or next week or whatever, if you're really good, (laughs) your position in heaven is still there. Do you understand that? Because the enemy, when he comes to you, he's going to say, oh, you screwed up. You're back down here. Now I'm looking down at you. Does that make sense? This is important because it has nothing to do. That's why our worship, we should be the most grateful people and the most worshipful people in this world because if we really understood, man, it has nothing to do with me and what I could do because I could not do it. But he did. He did it. The finished work of the cross is by grace. I don't know why I'm hammering that right now, but I am. (laughs) Number three, we have access to heaven and to the throne of God solely based on grace and the blood of Jesus, not because we are ever good enough. Number four, we are commanded to live from that place. Colossians 3, 1 through 3. I'm going to read this real quick. If then you who have been raised with Christ to a new life, thus sharing his resurrection from the dead, aim at and seek that which is above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So this is a a confirmation and a a reiteration of like being in that place and remaining in the place of being seated with him on his throne in heavenly places. And not to to set our minds and keep them set on what is above the higher things, not on things that are on the earth. For as far as the world is concerned, you have died and your new Real life is hidden with Christ in God, okay? So even the world knows that you're, <laughs> you're dead, right? Sometimes they treat us that way, right? We're dead to this world, but we're alive with him from heavenly places. All right. Any other points? Ready? And we were seated with Christ to not only see what he sees, but to see how he sees. So first first off, we're not seated in heavenly places by ourselves. We're seated with him. And for two reasons. Number one, the one thing that he's been after this whole time, intimate personal relationship. Number two, he doesn't want us just to have a bunch of knowledge or have a view of like what's going on, the whole picture apart from him. He needs us to have his heart for situations and for people, and he, has, he wants to give us his interpretation about what is going on because he's king. And he wants us to be like him. He wants us to think like he thinks. So when he looks at people, he doesn't, we have his heart and his knowledge about that person, not just knowledge. Do you guys understand what I mean by that? Because you can have all the spiritual intel from heaven that you want, but if you don't have his heart married with it, 
It's really a clanging symbol. But we need both. And that's why we are intimately seated with him in Christ. All right, let's get into it. So why are we seated with Christ? I specifically feel like we're supposed to talk about he wants us to live from this place, which is a place of victory that he accomplished, and specifically that to live from a place of not being always on the defense, but that we're on the offense. You guys heard me say this before. We have the ball. You know, when Jesus died and he rose again, he got the ball. He got the ball back. The enemy had the ball because Adam gave him the ball. You guys follow me with this analogy? <laughs> you know sports? <laughs> Jesus came back. He said, give me back my ball. And then he gave it to us. We've got the ball. We're on offense. It might feel like sometimes, man, I feel like, how come I'm always getting beat up? I feel like I'm always having to fight off stuff. Well, we do have to fight off stuff. We're in a battle, but we're, we're battling from a place of victory, a place from a, of authority, okay? All right, so let's establish this real quick. We, we've talked about this before, but um, this is important to understand this. The enemy, number one, the enemy was defeated at the cross and resurrection. John 12, 31, this is before Jesus went to the cross. He said, this is awesome. I, you know, I've read John, I don't know, probably more than any book of the Bible, and this recently just has like jumped out. I was like, why haven't I seen this before? But listen to this, 12, John 12, 31, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now, now, the prince of this world will be driven out. Not later, now. Colossians 2.12, he was specifically, he was talking about the cross. When he was going to accomplish the work of the cross, that was the beginnings of the driving out, right? Colossians 2.12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them, by the cross. That's how we can say, you know, in Romans 8, that we are more than conquerors. Because who is the conqueror? Jesus is the conqueror. And he, I know we use that scripture a lot, and, you know, it's kind of like a catchphrase, Christian catchphrase. But if you really think about it, what does that even mean, more than conquerors? It means that Jesus, the conqueror, won the battle, won the fight, got the ball back, has now given us the ball, and is now we are living from a place that he has already attained for us, if that makes sense. He won the battle, he's given us the victory, and now anything more than that is bonus, right? He's already won the battle. So the enemy is defeated. Like I was saying before, he sees the bottom of our feet because we're seated with him 
in heavenly places. We're seated with Christ in heavenly places in Christ. He has been defeated. He's literally been stripped of authority. Now, the enemy still has power, but he has power based on the authority and power that we give him. We won't go there. That's another subject here. All right. So the enemy was defeated, number one. Number two, if we were seated with Christ, then we are, are also are seated far above. And that's what I'm saying about like seeing the, the bottom of our feet. I'm going to read this Ephesians 2, 21. You guys, this is, we talked about this the previous time. But in order, we need to kind of understand, okay, that's cool. Like, that's a cool concept. I'm seated with Christ. It's cool to talk about in heavenly places. But what does that practically look like? What does that practically mean? Where is this place that I'm seated? Well, Scripture says in Ephesians 1.21 that this is where we are. We are far above, far, not a little bit, not barely, just a little bit above. We are like far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. So this is speaking about Jesus being seated because when he resurrected and he ascended into heaven, he was seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly realms. That's what it literally says far above all rule and authority. So we, if we're seated with him, we're in that same place with him. Do you, do you understand what I'm trying to say here? Yeah? <laughs> all right. And verse 22, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So if we are his body, right? We call ourselves the body of Christ, right? Where are our feet? Picture the physical body. So he's the head, right? Jesus is the head of this, this body, this metaphorical body, the body of Christ, who we are all part of. Where is the feet of the body of Christ? I just read it. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. If we are his body and God has placed all things under the body of Christ's feet and we are his feet, what does that mean? We are above all, far above. Not based on anything we did, though. <laughs> this is important to understand this concept because the enemy, we're in a fight, and God wants us to fight from this, that high place that we are seated in heaven. We need to understand that we are seated with him because the enemy, he, if he gets us to stop understanding and believing that we're above him, far above him, then he's one. And that's what he's, and I want to talk about that a little bit. But, you know, I'm um, talking about his feet, right? So 
Okay, let's let's talk about that a little bit. Okay, Ephesians six twelve. It says, "For our struggles not against flesh and blood." You guys know this one by heart, probably, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I, I remember reading about rulers and authorities. It's saying our struggles against them, but what did we just read in Ephesians one? Where are those rulers and authorities? Under our feet. Luke 10, 19, behold, I've given you authority to walk, to trample. What do you walk and trample with? Your feet. On snakes and scorpions and, and authority over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall injure you. So if I'm walking and I'm trampling, that means where is he? Where does he have to be? Under our feet. I know I'm hammering this thing. I hope you guys are getting this. This is awesome. This is good news. The enemy of our souls, the guy who hates us the most, the guy who's trying to divide your family, who's trying to divide your marriage, that's trying to bring destruction to your relationships, to your finances, to every area of your life. He's actively trying to do this. Are you aware of that? Most of you are because you're like, man, I'm always going to beat up in these areas. Guess where he is? Under my feet. Because of nothing I did, not because of not sinning too much, not because I know a lot of scripture or I read my Bible today or that any of these works that we think get us to a higher place, nothing is by the grace of God that you've been saved and that you have now ascended with him and are seated with him and that the devil sees the bottom of your feet when he looks up. All right. So if, if that's where we really are, for our, our life, our real life, remember we read earlier in Colossians, our real life is hidden in Christ in heavenly places. That's where our real life is. Our real life isn't necessarily down here. It is, but it's not. You know what I'm saying? This life is temporal. It's going to go away, but our real life that's going to be forever is up there, is where we are with him seated. Okay? So the Lord wants us to fight from this place. He wants us to, to take authority because what is a throne for? If we're seated with Christ in heavenly places on his throne with him, what is a throne for? To rule, to reign, and to in, in, in our case, also to intercede because we're in both places at one time. Standing in the gap between heaven and earth. That is our job. We're bringing the resources of heaven down to earth. There is a ladder or a stairway who is who? Who is the stairway? Jesus. He is the way. And we have access through him from heaven to earth to change the atmosphere of earth. To bring the rule of God in his kingdom of Jesus Christ here on earth to literally change atmospheres, to literally change people's lives. And that's what he was doing this morning. We were singing that over and over again. This is kind of crazy, but when I was going, when I was doing, spending time with the Lord, getting this, this part of the message, message 
uh, I all of a sudden heard Greg singing in my ear. And guess what song it was? Changing the atmosphere. I kid you not. I was like, I didn't even know you were leading worship today, man. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? God wants to change atmospheres. He wants to use you because you're seated with him in heavenly places, that you have access to all the resources of heaven because you're sons and daughters and you're charged with bringing them here on earth through Jacob's ladder. Does that make sense? So we were seated with him to rule. Revelations 5, 9 and 10 And they sang this new song. I think, Josh, you even shared this uh, last week about singing a new song, didn't you? Worship meeting. That's what it was. Okay, yeah. I know I heard it somewhere. So you are worthy to take the scroll. So remember, they were crying and weeping. Who's going to open the scroll? Who's going to open the book? And to... And to so, and they said, "Who is worthy to take the scroll and and to open its seals? For you were slain." Oh wait, no, no. It says, "You are worthy to take the scroll." Sorry, and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. This is our inheritance. You are a kingdom, a royal priesthood, right? First, was it First Peter or Second Peter? I can't remember. First Peter, yeah. That is who you are. When you became born again, you became a royal prince, princesses, whatever, a king. You were created to rule. Your, your new man the regenerated man is royal. It has royal blood in it because he's the king and we are his, right? So your inheritance is to rule. Do you make that connection? Because right now, and I think it talks about it in Hebrews where it says, you know, you know Jesus basically, Jesus won the battle, but we're still in a fight. Right, we don't see all things, you know, unnecessarily brought in our natural realm under His control and rule. Totally, right? It's like it's like He's the King, and we're kind of like we're like the knights or whatever you're like the the princes, and we're kind of going out with the authority that He purchased on the blood with His blood. And we're going out throughout the world and we're just bringing his rule and authority where the enemy is still running rampant, where we aren't present. All right. So the enemy knows better than we do where we are seated. So he tries to keep us from staying seated with Christ. He tries to get us to believe that we haven't been raised with Christ and he wants us to, listen to this, he wants us to fight on his ground because he knows if we fight where he is, we're going to get our butt kicked. Because we and ourselves are, without the Lord, are weak. And the enemy knows that when we fight him on his ground that he will take he will eat our lunch. 
So the enemy wants us to believe that that we are to just kind of fight with him here and struggle and, you know, this like war back and forth. And, and you know, the Lord showed me something really clear. He said, Paul, you're not standing with me in heavenly places. You're, you're what? You're seated. You're at a place of rest with me. And so many times I feel like, ah, oh, I'm getting attacked. The enemy's beating me up again. I'm getting all this stuff coming out. And I feel like I've got to pull, ah, oh, I got to fight. I got to get, you know. And we do. We need to fight, but not from necessarily a place of like our own passion or our own like will and strength and all those things. No, we fight from a place of victory first off, and we fight from a place of rest that, wait a second, Jesus did all the work. I'm just representing to the enemy the cross. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm not shouting and, you know, binding and loosing, you know, we get all... <laughs> we, but I'm doing it from a place of rest in what he accomplished. I'm not trying to earn it myself. Does that make sense? I don't know if you guys get what I'm saying because sometimes I have this temptation to kind of like, man, if I pray hard enough, if I pray loud enough, if I, you know, like I'm going to... And then the enemy's really going to run, you know? <laughs> but no, it's really when I'm like trusting and resting and I'm just representing the cross of Jesus Christ that he has been defeated. He isn't a, he does not have authority. It has been taken from him and that he's underneath my feet and that he has to listen to what I say. So there's no like kind of this work of drumming up, you know, trying to defeat the enemy because he does that to wear us out. You know, that, that's one of his descriptions in, in Scripture is like he wears the saints out. He's trying to wear out the saints so that you're ineffective, so that you don't take ground. Another thing the enemy tries to do is he tries to get you to believe that you're outnumbered. You know, the world does this too. You know, the the kind of the... I don't know what else to call it, but the anti-God, anti-family, anti-Jesus agenda in the world right now, anti-Christ, it's really, it is. The anti-Christ spirit right now is trying to get to think, get you convinced that you are a minority and that you're weird, that you're by yourself fighting this battle by yourself. But in, you, have you guys noticed that? You ever watch liberal media? <laughs> and they pull out all these polls. They use polls. They love to use polls. Man, 90% of the Americans believe that abortion is the best thing on earth. They're like, where did you, who did you poll? But they lie with these polls and all this other stuff, trying to convince you that, man, I really am by myself out here. Man, this is a losing battle. You know what I mean? That's the enemy. He does the same thing in the spirit. All right. If you got your Bibles, well, you have a time. That might be a dangerous thing. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's, let's turn to 2 Kings 6.15. All right. This is a familiar story to a lot of you. But this is an awesome picture of what the enemy tries to do to get us 
not understanding and not believing that we are seated with him in heavenly places. Ready? Verse 15. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, no, my Lord. What shall we do? The servant asked, don't be, af-, the servant asked, don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elijah prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And as the enemy came down toward them, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness as Elijah had asked. All right. So Elisha's servant. Where is his mind? Where is he believing he is seated? On the earth, he's ju- and how do we know that? He's judging the situation by the natural. Do you guys remember when I talked about being in Glacier? When I was down in the valley before we began the 8,000-foot climb or whatever it was, like all I could see around me were trees. That's all I could see. Yet when I got up to... 8,000, 9,000 feet, and I'm looking over, I see everything. I see those trees, but I see these trees. I see this road. I see this stream. I see like the whole picture. So Elisha's servant, he's basically, he's stuck in first heaven, or actually, this is, a, this is an actual and uh, really a good picture and metaphor for second heaven. He's only seeing what the enemy is doing. How many of us have been there? Well, that's all we see and hear. See, guys, how many times have we been there where the enemy has just trapped us and beat us up by what we see him doing? How many times have you guys been in an intercessory prayer meeting and the only thing people talk about are what the, what's the enemy doing? Man, those intercessory prayer times, I, am, I leave probably the most beat up, discouraged Christian. On the, I mean, I'm like walking out like, man, I just, we're all alone. Man, the enemy, he's powerful. He's just doing all kinds of stuff. <laughs> you guys ever done that, been there? <laughs> so that's what Elisha served, that's where he was at. He was just judging the situation based on what the enemy was doing. That's all he saw. That's all his eyes were on. They were, he was limited in his sight. So what did Elisha do? He prays. Say, Lord, get this guy's eyes on the right thing. Open his eyes. Help him to see from the third heaven. Help him to see from heaven's perspective. Help him to see how many are actually for us and are, listen to this, waiting for the sons and the daughters to use their authority. Waiting. Let me just propose, and I don't know if we can answer this right now, but let me propose a question to you. Would anything have happened to that army that was coming against them if Elijah had not prayed? You, get, you see where I'm getting at? 
There, but I, I, I truly believe this. There's literally hosts of angels waiting for the sons and daughters to release them through prayer. Not that we command angels. We do not command angels. He is the Lord of the hosts of the heavenly armies, right? But we, when we pray to him, I'm telling you, it releases the angelic to move on our behalf. And it, who, who, got, who knows their uh, Jeopardy, Bible Jeopardy trivia? How many, how many angels, what's the ratio of angels to fallen angels? What's that? Two to one, that's right. A th- only a third fell. And who, who knows how many billions, you know, are. Think about that, though. Billions and myriads of angels are for us. Twice as many are for us than that are against us. Currently, right now, things haven't changed. So why, is it, why do we focus so much and get so discouraged by, like, when we see, like, a, a demon come out or, you know, or somebody demonize us? It's like, man, I've got, like, there's one demon there or five demon or whatever. I'm going to multiply by two. There's ten angels with me. Am I doing math right here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I believe that exponential, you know, one puts a thousand to flight, two put 10,000 to flight because I got my angels, you got your angels. We put them together and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. That's why that prayer agreement is so powerful. So getting back to this, we are seated with him in heavenly places because he wants us to see what he is doing and how he's doing it. And he wants us to have his heart and the intel from heaven to what? The, to rule, to bring the rule of heaven here on earth, right? On earth as it is in heaven. Isn't that what you were singing, Miriam, something like that? <laughs> All right. So many of you guys, I'm going to wrap this up with this one. Many of you guys, there are areas in your life Let's make this real, okay? There are areas of your, of your life that you need breakthrough, that you've been praying for breakthrough for a long time. The enemy comes and he beats you up and says, look at you, you're not getting breakthrough, you know, and he's tempting you and he's trying to pull you down. Do you understand that? He's literally, because that's what he has to do. He has to pull you down to fight in his arena, to pull you down. Hey, look at the stuff around you. Look at so-and-so's life. You've been praying for that person, not walking with the Lord. You've been praying for five years. Look at him. He's worse than when you first started praying. He's pulling you down to see what he's doing. He wants worship. Do you understand that? He wanted worship from the beginning. He wants worship now. He wants us to focus on him, to give him the attention, to literally magnify him. But really, he's just like, no, he's just a punk. So how do we make this? So a lot of you guys have been praying for breakthrough. There's areas in your life, and the enemy just keeps on pulling you down, and you're living, and you're judging that situation from the place where he wants you, the natural realm, or even the second heaven where you're seeing what he's doing. You have a dream about something, and the enemy just beats you up about, you know, you're showing all the stuff he's doing in somebody's life or a situation. 
Well, let's be like Elisha. Let's let's ask Holy Spirit. Ephesians one is that prayer, Lord, that the Lord would flood the eyes of your heart, that you would be given a spirit of wisdom and revelation, and that the Lord would flood the eyes of your heart with His light, that you may know the hope of His calling, the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and your in the incomparably great power for us who believe. He wants our eyes to be open to this so that we are living from a place that we were bringing heaven to earth, changing the atmosphere from the enemy's rule to heaven's rule. So how do we do this? Second Samuel 5, 17. I'm just going to read through this real quick. David inquired of the Lord. So this, right, so a little background, David just became king over, over Judah and Israel. So he's king over the whole kingdom of Israel, right? And the Philistines want to pick a fight. They, challenge, they want to challenge his rule. So David inquired of the Lord when his enemy came against him. So, they, so the Philistines, they came up and they're like, okay, we're going to pick a fight with David. He, who, you know, he's got all of Israel and stuff. And, and this is where our David inquired of the Lord. This is what he did. When the enemy came against him, he didn't in, inquire of his generals or his friends. He knew that the Lord saw all things and he knew how to bring victory. All right? When the Philistines, this is verse 17, when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to seek out David. And when David heard it, this is an interesting verse. He went down to the stronghold. Now, physically, that was probably some, maybe the city of David, his, his palace or whatever, you know, that he had put together in Jerusalem, a little makeshift stronghold. But I read this. If you look at 2 Samuel 22, 1 through 4, it is a song that David sings, and this is what it says. And David spoke the words of this song to the Lord in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. So where did David go? To his stronghold, which was the Lord in heaven, right? He went into the secret place. The Lord was his stronghold. He inquired of the Lord. That's what it says. So he goes in his stronghold. Now the Philistines came and spread themselves in the valley of Rephraim. Rephaim. Then David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? I mean, this is such an awesome practical scripture here, how we do this. It's really this simple, too. David inquired of the Lord, and he said, um, Will you, you know, will I go, should I go up against them? Will you give them in my hand? And the Lord said, Go up, and I will certainly give the Philistines into your hand. So David came to Baal Perazim and defeated them there. And he said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like the breaking of waters. Therefore, he named that place Baal Perazim, which literally translates the Lord of breaking through or the Lord of breakthrough. 
So the enemy comes up against David. David goes into his stronghold, and he inquires of the Lord. And what did that look like? Lord, what do I do here? The enemy is coming. I need your perspective. What do I do here? What is heaven doing right now? And he goes, the Lord speaks to him. And who knows how, that, how he spoke to him. And you guys, you know, we, as we are learning to hear God's voice, all the different ways. He might have given him a dream. I don't know. Maybe he took a Bob Jones nap and he had a dream about this. I don't know. Like, or maybe he just got a scripture or maybe the, the Lord just a still small voice saying, go up. I'm with you. Tack them full on face to face. And guess what? Lord shows up. He breaks through his enemy. So I'm telling you, there was angelic help here. So basically, he broke through. So here's this next next part. So now the Philistines, they got their butt kicked. And now the Philistines came up once again. I guess they wanted their butt kicked again, right? And spread themselves out in the Valley of Rephaim. But this is a picture. The enemy is relentless. He's going to keep coming after you. And he's going to test you. Are you going to do what you did last time? All right. And when David... All right, verse 23, when David inquired of the Lord, he said, you shall, not go, you shall not go directly up, circle around behind them and come at them in front of the basalm trees. It shall be when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the basalm trees, then you shall act promptly. And then the Lord will have gone out before you and strike the army of the Philistines. David did so as the Lord commanded and he struck down the Philistines. All right. So David, and this is key here, this is a place of staying in, seated in heavenly places. When the enemy comes up against you again, do we, don't necessarily use the same, don't make what the Lord spoke to you before a principle and a rule because it will, it will devoid relationship. Does that, does that make sense? It'll devoid. It will eliminate the need for relationship. If you use what the Lord has spoken to you in the past as a principle, you'll miss it. What did David do? Did he do that? No. What did he do? He went back in his stronghold. He inquired of the Lord. Lord, what should I do in this situation? Good thing he did because the Lord said, this is not what I'm doing. I'm not coming face to face with them and fighting them for you. I'm doing this. You're going to go around them. You're going to hear angels basically in the top of some trees, and I'm going to go before them, and I'm going to rout the enemy, and then you come out and attack them. Good thing he listened to the Lord. <laughs> Good thing he inquired of the Lord so that we practically can do this in our own life. Let's stay seated in heavenly places with him, asking him, inquiring of the Lord. Lord, what are you doing in this situation? What is your perspective? I can see, you know, I can use my carnal brain, whatever, to see the enemies beating up people. But what are you doing to trump what he's doing? Because I want to partner with heaven and I want to bring it here on earth and I want to see your rule come down and you to change the atmosphere. All right. And just like a, just a quick example of this, I, you know, this has been a while, but like uh, one of the, my old jobs, I had a coworker come up to me one day and he was like, Paul, he, should, he went to his office, shut the door and he just like, he just broke down crying and he said, my, my wife, she's, she's leaving me. 
and I don't know what to do. I don't know what I did, and da 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 da. You know, he just just broke down. And uh, he was a believer. His wife, we weren't sure. And um, and I was like, well, and I, I, it was the Holy Spirit. I know it was the Holy Spirit. It's like, well, just pray, pray right now. Ask the Lord, what is He doing? What is the situation over this thing? So we prayed. And we were getting things, and I got this saying. I literally got this saying. The Lord wanted us to pray for the atmosphere to change around his wife's thinking, around her even physically. That there was the enemy was coming, and he was just spewing lies over her, and that we were supposed to release heaven over her, and over literally physically over her, her physical body walking around, in her bedroom, at her work, in her office, in the car, I mean, all these things. And we went after it. And I'd go in every once in a while and just say, hey, how are things going? You know, he's like, I'm still praying, Lord, change the atmosphere on my wife. And I'm seeing little bits, little glimpses of, of some change. And then we had bad days where it's like, yeah, she found a place. She's, she's uh, about to put the deposit down. And I mean, and we'd be like, don't judge what we're seeing in this natural. Don't let the enemy pull you down. Let's focus again. What is, Lord, what are you doing? All right, keep praying. We kept praying, change the atmosphere, bring heaven down to his wife, break off all the lies of the enemy, speak truth, release angels. I mean, we just, whatever the Holy Spirit, we saw him doing, we were praying it out. And it's probably, it wasn't like, like two weeks. I mean, it was like six months or something like that. He calls me in the office, like, Paul. And he just broke down crying. He said, my wife came to me last night, and she said, I don't know what I've been doing. I don't know why I was thinking that we needed a divorce. And repented. He repented of his stuff. You know, it takes two, <laughs> right? And they're still happily married today. But it's because... Heaven's resources were waiting for the sons of God to come in agreement with what we were seeing from heaven to see the resources of heaven. The angels, I believe, I literally believe angels were released when we prayed. And they were literally, read Daniel 10. There was a struggle going on with the angelic and the demonic. But guess what? There's more of, a, more of them with us than there are against us, Right? And they literally, I believe, removed it. I mean, I would literally, I got this phrase, Lord, and I would pray it over her. And it was the Holy Spirit giving me, pray, Lord. Uh, basically, the Lord was saying, Paul, pray that she would come to her senses like the prodigal did. And if you guys know the prodigal story, whatever, he was literally, you know, looking at the pods to eat from pigs. And there's a scripture that says, he came to his senses all of a sudden. There was like a, like he got free in his thinking and he saw, what in the world am I doing? I believe that the enemy was being put under our feet every time we were praying, that we were taking authority and ground for, for heaven, saving this marriage because the Lord loved my, my coworker's marriage. He loved it and he wanted it. He wanted to save it. All right, let's wrap this thing up. <laughs> so, I don't know, you got any?
Guys, this is awesome um, and very true. Um, just a, a, a quick practical example of this, uh, in a, different from what he was just talking about, but going along with the whole of his message, I, I experienced this morning. And I've experienced this over and over again. I don't know why I'm such a hardhead, and it, I, it, it, I lose this sometimes. But you ever, y'all, y'all ever know, like when you go to hang out with the Lord, and you go into your bedroom or whatever, and you grab your Bible and you start to pray or whatever, and it just feels like brass heavens. You know what I mean? And you don't feel close to the Lord, and so you're somehow trying to figure out a way to get the Lord to come. You, you, does anybody know what I'm talking about? Like. It's, it's like, Lord, I want to be with you. But it's like, and we're, we're trying to figure out a way. Maybe I'm going to read this. I'm going to pray this. And, and you're not always mentally going through and assessing it the way I'm saying it right now. You may not even be aware of what you're doing, but there's a subtle um, desire to have. There's a desire to have him, but there's a subtle thing that we're trying to get God to come. Y'all know what I mean? Okay. This has happened numerous times in my life, but it happened again this morning. I'm, I'm out of time. I got to get in the shower and get ready for church. But I'm not satisfied. He, he hadn't shown up yet. And I'm frustrated. And then all of a sudden, I, I, I like sit up, and I know I have to go, but I, there's this something ain't right in me. And then all of a sudden, it dawns on me. This is by faith. I'm already with him. We're one. And all of a sudden, it was like, you know what? I am close to him by faith, not by feeling. He's here. I'm with him. And even though I've been wanting to experience something, and that's not bad, but I'm going to take this thing by faith. And when I shifted, that little shift of I am in him, he is in me. He will never leave me. He will forsake me. The Spirit of God dwells in me. Why am I trying to get to him or him to get to me? We're, we're one. And when that, and this is by faith. And when that shifted inside of me, all of a sudden it was like, bam, I felt his presence instantaneously. And I realized I was trying to gain something I had already gained. And I do that all the time. And that's what Paul's talking about, being seated with Christ in heavenly places. We are in him. And so rather than us trying to somehow gain his presence, let's start from a place, thank you for your presence. You're here. I'm, a, I, I, I'm already in your presence. Lord, I'm with you. We're, the word promises me this. I accept this by faith. And in that place of faith, the, the curtain comes down. The curtain's already down, but when we don't realize it and we don't believe it, somehow or another we get a, a veil around our mind just like the Jews have today that haven't accepted Christ that Paul talked about. There's a veil every time because what it was, it wasn't the Jews. It was those that are still looking at the law. When we still are looking for the law to somehow gain Christ, there's a veil around us, Paul says, that we can't see him, and it's in that faith The curtain's torn. And it was such an amazing shift. And I've had this happen probably maybe seven or eight times in my life where it's just I'm going through dry seasons. 
And then it, I just, I've had enough and I've got to figure out a way to get him to come. And then it's like, well, no, wait a minute. He already came. And when that shift would take place and how quick I forget it, but when the shift takes place, I'm instantly in his presence because faith leads us there. So anyway, I just felt like the, that, that was such an encouragement to me this morning. I felt like it went along with what he's talking about, taking this by faith, believing that we are in him by faith. And in that place of faith, we access what we've already accessed. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's right on. Because the enemy can manipulate our feelings. He goes after our feelings, actually. He, he creates dramatic things in, in the natural, and then we react in our feelings. Oh, God, this is an impossible situation. Like, look at the enemy's doing it. You know, we get, he pulls us back down. That's what he's doing. He's pulling us back down from where, where we're seated with him in heavenly places. We aren't supposed to make judgments on our emotions, on what it looks like in the natural, but solely on what we see him showing us. That's what we judge things. First Corinthians chapter 2 talks about spiritual man. He judges all things. The spiritual man, not the carnal, not the carnal mind, but the spiritual man, the man seated with Christ, he judges all things. He sees from his perspective. So I, I really feel like uh, this morning, we all have areas of breakthrough, that we need God breaking through. If there's specifically the Lord's been speaking, guys, I, I specifically, and um, I specifically was feeling something about like depression. If there's somebody here that needs breakthrough in the area of depression, where the enemy just kind of beats you up with depression. I feel like the Lord wants to to bring breakthrough there. Is there anybody here this morning who's who's dealing with that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's pray for these guys. Lord, give us eyes to see what you're seeing. Lord, I thank you that there are literally angels waiting for us to intercede, to be released, to intervene into their, their lives right now. I just, Lord, we as a body right now, we come in agreement with heaven and we say, Father, break off all depression right now. I just pray that you would just release them Loose them right now, you spirit of depression. I command you to come off of their lives right now in Jesus' name. Father, just release a spirit of joy right now. Holy Spirit, you said in your, in your presence there's fullness of joy. Lord, I just thank you that you're getting their eyes off of situations and you're putting them on you. Change their perspective right now, Lord. We come against all depression in the name of Jesus Christ. And we break its hold right now in Jesus' name over their lives.